Dear congregation, I invite you to turn in God's holy word to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, and we'll read Daniel 10 and verse and chapter 11, verse 1. Daniel 10 through chapter 11, verse 1. Just a context in Daniel 9, we saw Daniel making prayer for the people in the first year of Darius um, of the Medes, and he pours out his heart in covenantal prayer and then receives a glorious prophecy also of the return of the exiles to Jerusalem and that the temple would be rebuilt and the promised Messiah would be able to come and to deal with the transgressions and to make an end of sin and, and a reconciliation for iniquity and to bring everlasting righteousness. A few years pass and we come to Daniel chapter 10, and indeed, indeed the exiles were able to go back to the land, the promised land, and um, begin that work of rebuilding the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. But let's hear Daniel's heart as in the vision that the Lord gives him in Daniel 10 and 11, but, but we'll, be, we'll break at verse 1. And we'll look at Daniel 11 next Lord's Day. Let's hear God's word, Daniel chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three, four, three Full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with the gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. And suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palm of my ha- palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel. 
For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I have been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and become speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, Because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Lord, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. When I have gone forth, indeed, The prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the Scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Also, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. Dear, weary soldier of Jesus Christ. That is what you could title this note and letter here in Daniel chapter 10. Is that you today? Dear, weary soldier of Jesus Christ. Recognizing that we are not on some kind of luxury cruise ship as a Christian, but that we are on a battleship, battling our own hearts. And personally, maybe you are a weary soldier of Jesus Christ today. As you look at your heart and your own spiritual life and your growth in grace, maybe at one time in your life, Shortly after your conversion or at the time of your conversion, you had so many hopes and expectations for yourself and for this blessed relationship with the Lord, and now you sense how far short you fall in this life of grace. Just because this is titled, Dear Weary Soldier of Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that excludes the children among us. Maybe you too were touched by the grace of God even in your very youth. 
Maybe you could confess easily that Jesus Christ is the only Savior and His blood was shed for a sinner like me. And yet, as you grow up, And have all the temptations and realize all the difficulties that there are in this world and all the peer pressure. You become weary. Discouraged. Beat down. Or maybe you look in your own family life as parents. Seeing your children depart from the truth of God's Word turning in rebellion. Maybe it's even grandchildren. And you think about all the promises that God has made to you and to your family through His covenant, and you think, where has the Lord gone? What has happened to His promises? Has He forsaken us? And you feel like there's nothing you can do if you're weary. Or as you look around the congregation, and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout this world. And you see the apathy. You see the nominalism that grips us. You say, Lord, where is your reviving work among the people of God? And you look at your calling in life, and and you'd hope to be such an influence of good in society through your various callings. And all the challenges have come upon you and how to do your work and to do your business and all the policies that distract you and even threaten your calling. And you become discouraged and weary as you look at our culture, our society, our country. Where the values of faith in the Word of God that once were foundational to our Western society have turned into a godless society. And you become weary as you look at the elections. You become disheartened, maybe even disenfranchised. Think how many times have we not prayed and how often aren't we praying for revival and yet I'm continually disheartened by everything I hear and see and and you become this weary soldier of Jesus Christ. Well, this chapter should speak to us today. And it reminds us that things aren't always the way they seem to be. And we know how things ought to be in our own lives, in our own families, in our own church, in our occupations, in society. But we need to recognize that behind, while things appear to be in this world, there is one who sits on the throne and and there's a spiritual warfare going on behind the earthly battles. And so when we're tempted to be discouraged and to think that my efforts are, are of no use, when evil seems to only become more prevalent, then this message comes to us, dear weary soldier of Jesus Christ. Before you look at this physical war here below, remember the spiritual war that is going on in heaven. And there, there is one who is a conquering king. And he comes to strengthen God's weary soldiers in and for the battles here below. 
I'd like to look at this chapter with that theme, Dear Weary Soldier, God's Weary Soldiers Strengthened. First of all, in the conflict. Secondly, by Christ. And thirdly, for the cause of Christ's kingdom. Dear Weary Soldier, Strengthened in the Conflict. In Daniel 10, we recognize that Daniel is an old man now. He's 86 years old, and this is several years after he has received this glorious promise from God in, in Daniel chapter 9 of the Messiah coming, that they would return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls of the temple to prepare the way for this Messiah. And now we read in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. And what, what's important about that is this is that this is at least two years after Cyrus had come and had pronounced that edict of restoration. And, and, and that allowed the people of Israel to go back to their homeland, to Judah, to Jerusalem, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. And Daniel is receiving these messages and he's receiving messages and visions and he's understanding these things and Daniel is now mourning three full weeks. Shouldn't Daniel be excited? God's promises have come true. The 70 years are over. And now, and now the people can go back to Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the temple. Certainly he should not be discouraged and weary. But what does Daniel see? Daniel sees that only a small minority of those who were taken into exile have now returned. We know from Ezra and Nehemiah, approximately 40,000 people returned. And then later, another 5,000. And in all, less than 50,000 people. Can you imagine Daniel thinking about this? 50,000 saints of God is all that would return to Jerusalem? Compare that to the 600,000 that were led out of Egypt in the Exodus to go to the promised land. How many countless people were now settled into Babylon saying it's not so bad in Babylon. We can take our comfort here in Babylon. We don't need to return to Jerusalem. Oh, how Daniel might have had such great expectations that the people would flood back to Judah and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. Daniel's dreams, all he lived for, all he longed for, all he prayed for, it all seemed to fade in discouragement. They say, well, Daniel's still here in Babylon. Why didn't Daniel go back? Well, remember, Daniel's well into his 80s. It's only a couple years before his death, the most. What, what could Daniel do? This treacherous journey would probably even take his life let alone the, the, the hard and heavy work that would, it would take to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and the temple. Daniel very clearly probably, probably was even called here to stay in Babylon to encourage this work, even from the king's palace, and to pray for their work. And we see him doing so in verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Here he is, fasting, praying, 
beseeching God to revive His work even in His day. It's also interesting to note in verse 4 that it's the 24th day of the first month. Very likely the very same time of the Passover. And maybe reports were coming back to Daniel that, that the altar, yes, has been rebuilt and, and, and he's taking encouragement in that and he thinks about the Passover and yet he's hearing these reports of all of the strong opposition to rebuilding the temple. And even now in the third year of Cyrus, from history it, it seems as if Cyrus had left his son Cambyses to be the, the acting king in his behalf. And, and he was actually making edict now to forbid building the temple. Oh, how discouraged Daniel must have been. And how discouraged Daniel must have been to hear of the nations coming to plunder and oppose the work of rebuilding Jerusalem. The work of this restoration proved far more difficult than what he might have imagined. Would this restoration take place at all? And what does Daniel do? Does Daniel say, well, I'm going to write a strong letter to these people. I'm going to tell them they got to get to work. And, and I'm, I'm going to condemn people for not doing enough and for not going back. That's not what he does. What Daniel does do. He falls on his face in humility before God. He fasts, he mourns, and he prays. What about us? Do we, do we recognize the conflict that's going on in this world? This conflict between the kingdom of Christ and the darkness of this world? Do we recognize it's not just about earthly things, but, but that there's a spiritual conflict going on? Wouldn't we say, Daniel, you would be right to criticize all those who weren't doing what they should have been doing. He would want to give a a firm rebuke to those who were disheartened and those who have been disenfranchised from the work of the Lord. Maybe Daniel could have said, you just need better leaders to leave you there and, and, and the problem would be solved. But really, would it be? If you just had better programs and better organizations, then, then maybe it would all be better. And isn't that how we answer the issues of our day so often too? But what we need to recognize is what Daniel recognized, that we cannot fix the heart, the spiritual problems by better leaders, by better laws, by better programs, by better political regimes. But revival needs to take place. Revival needs to take place and hearts need to be changed. And so it's a call to prayer, a call to repentance, a call to fasting, a call to humble ourselves before God in repentance. And that would also be the answer for our conflict today. You see, God's response is to those who humble themselves before Him in repentance is to strengthen them. 
is to strengthen that. But how? And by whom? Well, let's look at that again in verse 4. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, behold. That leads me to my second thought. God's weary soldier is strengthened by Christ. By Christ. Look at what he beholds. It's really, I can only interpret it one way, is that this is a pre-incarnate visitation of our Lord Jesus Christ to Daniel. But don't take my word for it. Let's look at this passage, which is, complete, is, is almost a parallel to Revelation 1 and John's vision of an ascended Christ. Look at verse 4 and 6. 4 through 6, he says, Behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girt with gold of Euphaz. His body was like beryl. His face was like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like torches of fire. His arms and feet like bur- um, burnished bronze in color. And the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Although, indeed, some commentators do believe that this might be Gabriel, one of God's angels, besides Michael. Comparing Scripture with Scripture, I can only conclude that this is a clear revelation of God Himself. It's a divine revelation through the pre-incarnate Christ as He displays the power and the splendor and the all-sufficiency and glory of God in this vision. There's clear references here to the very character of God in this revelation. The first is, is that this figure was clothed in linen, waist girt with gold. This was, these were the garments that were worn by the priest. And the priest would wear these, especially when they went into the holy place, into the presence of God Himself. And especially on that day of atonement, I showed the forgiveness that there is in God, even as He's promised in Daniel 9. And secondly, it's not only about how he was dressed, but also his very body. His body was like beryl. It's like Daniel's thinking, what kind of stone can I compare this man to? To show the beauty and the value and the glorious splendor of who I am seeing. His face. The face of this man was like appearance of lightning. This is power and glory which was accompanied as well in all of the appearances of God in Scripture. Especially we think about Mount Sinai when God gave His law. It came with lightning, thundering. His eyes were like torches of fire. All-seeing eyes, penetrating, penetrating the darkness, penetrating the very hearts and lives of His people. His arms were like burnished bronze in color. And it's showing there that His arms are strong and stable and His feet are strong and stable. And His voice, the voice that sound of his words were like that of a multitude or a stadium. It would be like Rogers Center exploding after a grand slam to finish the World Series. Exploding 
with volume from the multitude. See what Daniel's doing here. He's really ransacking the dictionary for the most powerful and glorious descriptions and stones to describe the glory of the man in this vision. And just as telling that this is the Lord Jesus Christ is Daniel's reaction to him. In verse 7, I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. He had men around him, and they had to flee from Daniel when they saw the vision of this man. Because a great terror fell on them, and they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision. And what happened to Daniel as he's left alone? He says, there was no strength remaining in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. There was, there was never a time in all of Scripture that an angel appeared to men to bring them into this kind of state where everyone is fleeing from the presence. And Daniel himself, was left paralyzed on the ground. Furthermore, Daniel later on calls him my Lord three times in this chapter. Certainly, this is a vision of God Himself visiting Daniel. Daniel who is repentant. Daniel who has humbled himself. God comes and He visits him to strengthen him. Well, but pastor... When you read that, that doesn't sound like Daniel's receiving much strength. He's down on the ground. He's paralyzed. He's depleted of strength. But isn't that where God brings His people in order to strengthen them? Think about Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the High, the Lofty One, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with Him who has a contrite and humble spirit. He doesn't come to those who are puffed up in their pride. He doesn't come to those who have all the answers. He comes to those who are humble. He comes to those who are contrite and repentant to revive the heart of the contrite one. You see, Jesus loves to visit his dear, weary soldiers. You can see that in verse 10. Suddenly a hand touched me. You know that, don't you? When someone, when you, when you have hardly any strength at all, when you don't know where to turn any longer, and, and you have someone who's a great encouragement to come to you, and, and he just puts their hand on you. It encourages you. You sense their care for you. And here Daniel has his hand touch him, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved. See, Jesus is coming to his weary soldier with his love. The hand touches him. The words are spoken. Daniel, man greatly beloved. He reassures that He is there with His love and His presence to those who are humble and those who are repentant. And even then, Daniel stood trembling. 
But he loves to visit them with his love. He loves to visit them with his ears. He says to Daniel in verse 10, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the, last, from the first day that you set your heart to understand, to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. Daniel, you have been praying and supplicating and, and fasting for 21 days. I have heard every single word. Not one word has escaped me. And I have come to you because of your words. He loves to visit his weary soldiers. He loves to hear his people cry. And when they cry, he speedily answers them. And he comes to not only reassure with his love and his, his hearing, his understanding, his care, but also to show him his revelation. Even when Daniel was paralyzed on the ground, as it were. What does Daniel say? Even in that state, in verse 9, he says, Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. He hears. He hears God's revelation. What did he hear? Well, Daniel, I have come to show you there is a great war and a great conflict that is going on. And I want to strengthen you for the cause of my kingdom. And that's what we see in our third point. God's weary soldier is strengthened for the cause of Christ's kingdom. And we recognize, first of all, in the kingdom of Christ, that Christ is at war. Notice in verse 13, after he says, I have come to you because of these words, and then he explains to Daniel what has been going on. In verse 13, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Daniel was praying, supplicating, and fasting for 21 days. And yet, he says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to me, for I had been left alone. There with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. What's interesting here is he's not talking about the rulers of the kingdom of Persia. He would have called them then the king of Persia withstood me 21 days. But what he says here is the prince of the king of Persia. And what Jesus is saying here is that evil, the evil spirit that motivates the king of Persia has withstood me. In other words, Daniel, your problem is not with the king of Persia, so to say. Your problem is not with the nations that are opposing the rebuilding of the kingdom, of the temple, and of the walls of Jerusalem. Your problem is not because of these disenfranchised people who have come, gone back to Jerusalem that are no longer continuing faithfully in this rebuilding work. But it's about the prince of evil that is behind the scenes of these endeavors. 
And that's what we find in the New Testament as well, don't we? In Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of His might. That's exactly what God is doing for Daniel here. Encouraging him to be strong in the Lord. And he says, to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Not against the wiles of of flesh and blood because he says for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places there is a spiritual conflict going on that you and I do not see that that is just as true as any conflict that you can see today. But what we recognize in conflicts that we see today, we want to put faces on these enemies. But Daniel, it's not about the faces on these enemies. It's not about the political leaders. It's not about the faces of them. But Daniel, it's about what's going on behind them. In this cosmic battle of the spiritual battle. Isn't that so easy for us to do? Is to put faces on our enemies. Maybe they're political leaders of this day. Or when we think about the election and we think, well, that party might be the evil party and that party might be the good party. That's, that's not what it's about at all here. It's not about... COVID being evil, or, or vaccines, or mass, or Islamic people, or China, or North Korea, or the Taliban, or... No, it's about the prince of wickedness that's behind these individuals and things. And Daniel, you need to be strong in the Lord. You need to look to Christ. You need to look to His Word. You need to look to His salvation. You need to look to His Gospel. You need to look to His promises and pray and pray and pray. The power of prayer is so evident here in the book of Daniel. A prayer that begins with humility. A prayer that begins in repentance moves the very hosts of heaven in this cosmic battle. You think about the Old Testament. Elisha and his servants at Dothan, they, he says, there are far more that are for us than against us, even though it seemed like the battle was already won. And their eyes are open to see the host, the angelic host, of God fighting their battle for them. All the power of prayer. Would we be those kinds of prayer warriors? Even this week, to gather in prayer and to pray. Daniel's not told to pray. He's equipped for prayer. And for prophecy. Notice in verse, verse 15. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned again my face to the ground. I, I become speechless. Lord, how, how can I help and how can I do anything in this cosmic battle? And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. 
And I opened my mouth and spoke. You almost think of Isaiah 6 here, where the coal is taken from the altar and, 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 and it's brought to Isaiah's very lips to sear them and to pierce them and to purify them so that Isaiah can go forth as a prophet of the Lord to speak his truth, to open his mouth. Here Daniel has the very Son of Man touch his lips so that he can open his mouth. And what's, he, what's the first things he says? My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me, nor any breath left in me. I am empty, Lord. I am nothing of myself. And yet God takes this empty vessel of Daniel and strengthens him. Look at that in verse 18. Then again, the one having the likeness of man touched me and strengthened me and said, Oh man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. But I'm weak, Lord. And the Lord says, be strong. Not in yourself. Be strong in me. And when he had spoken those words, Daniel says, I was strengthened. And I said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Daniel wasn't strong in himself. It was all from God. He was touched by Christ. He was touched by the Word of Christ. By the power of Christ. I don't know what strengthens you to fight the battles you have to fight in this world. And your own personal life, and your spiritual life, and your family life, within the congregation, within our society. I don't know what strengthens you, but if it isn't the power of Christ, if it isn't His Word, then you've gone to the wrong place and you will end up empty and stay empty. When Christ touches you, and when His Word touches you, there is power, power from God to speak. Yes, Lord, let me speak for you. Have strengthened me. And Daniel then is reassured of this strength from Christ for the cause of His kingdom. Because he's reassured of Christ's upholding power and plan. Notice that with me in verse 20. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? Christ comes to us and says that to you. Do you know why I have come to you this morning? Do you know why I have come to you with my word? A revelation of myself and my power and my glory, my suitability, my sufficiency? Do you know why I have come to you? I have come to you. I have come to you because I am enthroned on high as the King of kings, as the head over all things exalted. And I am reigning over all things. And the spiritual victory is mine. There's a huge conflict. There's a huge war going on. But I am in control. I have come to tell you now, Daniel, 
says Christ, that I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. I'm going to return to fight with him. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. Prince of Persia is defeated, maybe. But there will come another prince. The prince of, Persia, uh, the prince of Greece. Even as Daniel had witnessed in Daniel chapter 8. But no one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Notice how, how Jesus is assuring Daniel that Daniel, it's not just me fighting for you, but I have a host of angelic hosts to fight for you. Even Michael, your prince, is fighting on your behalf. Continue to pray. Even as in the first year of Darius the Mede, even then, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Oh, dear weary soldier, Dear weary Daniel, know that I'm in control of all of history. And I'll show you that next week in my vision, says, says, says the Lord. Not next week for Daniel, but for us next week in chapter 11. But Daniel, and dear weary soldier today, I don't know what the future holds as a pastor, as your pastor. I don't know what it holds for me and I don't know what it holds for you. I don't know what it holds for our children. I don't know what it holds for our church. I don't know what it holds for our country. But dear, weary soldier, I know who holds the future. Do you? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, we confess we don't know what the future holds for any one of us or for our children, our churches, our country. We know that you hold the future in your power and that the victory is yours. We see the tensions and the conflicts here below and we know they pale in comparison to the cosmic conflict. We don't even see with our eyes. But we know from your word is truth. And so, Lord, we acknowledge that we need to be strong in you. And so fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your strength. Grant unto us the whole armor of God so that we may withstand the wiles of the devil. Lord, we recognize we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Oh, Lord, principalities and powers that you yourself have defeated and continue to defeat until you come again. And though we see these spiritual hosts of wickedness behind the scenes affecting our history today, we look to you. For you are the one the only one who can strengthen us. Strengthen us for your cause and for your kingdom. And so, Lord, do so to the glory of your name.
and to the extension of your kingdom. For Jesus' sake, amen.